You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. We got together last night. I think we're still trying to get over the uh, Dodger loss hangover thing right now. You know, it's just, just really hard on us. And my whole family was there. My kids were there. My grandkids were there. Uh, my son could not handle it, and so he was in the other room. He just got up and walked out. He was just, he couldn't handle it. And so we all pulled together, huddled together before we parted company. We prayed, you know, we encouraged each other. And I said, remember what counts. I said, look at me, son. Remember what counts. What counts is you, you, you have a family. You have a roof over your head. I said, man, I have a family. It's you, and I have a roof over my head. And guess what? I'm hanging out with a beautiful woman. So I'm good. I mean, I mean this will get me through, you know. This will get me through. Uh, not to mention Jesus, too, gets me through that, too. But, um, yeah, so you can just be praying for us. We need that prayer. Listen, do this with me. Would you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4? Mark chapter 4. It's one of my uh, favorite places, all time in Scripture. Uh, I love the story because it's so much about discipleship. How many enjoyed the water baptism? Because that's what this is really about. I mean, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, it's so cool. And then the next service, we'll be baptizing more. And so be praying for those that are being baptized today because I know this makes a huge difference in all of our lives. It really, it really does. And so just keep that in mind. And I want to remind you of one other thing, and that is Wednesday, uh, November 14th. That is a time that we are actually concluding this series, The Gift of Desperation, on a Wednesday evening, coming together and worshiping and hearing what God is saying. Uh, how many are desperate? Here's, 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 this is a good question for us to ask, um, because I've been asking myself this question. How many are desperate for a clear prophetic voice from God's church today. I'm desperate for that. I want to hear, you know, the Holy Spirit speak to us. And so this will be an opportunity for us to to get together and and experience that. And so I want to invite you. That's again Wednesday, November 14th. And uh, for, for for those that might be new with us, the what we're in is we're in the series called The Gift of Desperation. Uh, you know the challenge that that a lot of us face when it comes to how we relate to God is we, we want God's deliverance. I, I, I think there's really an authenticity there. We want his deliverance. But we don't always want to get desperate to get it. Uh, we, we, we want the blessing. I, I get it. I, I see it. But coming to that place of being broken, we want his blessing, but, but we don't want to have to be broken to receive it. Um, it wasn't too long ago I was in one of our local markets and ran into a family from the church um, and we just began to talk, and, and the mo- mother said to me, she said, wow, we want our, our, our daughter to be baptized. And I said, that is so great. That is amazing. And, and she said this. She said, yeah, we're trying to kind of fit it in between the soccer schedule and then the basketball schedule and then, you know, all the other things that are going on. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a nice guy. And uh, I said, can I, can I say this to you? Uh, it, it, water baptism isn't something you try to fit in. Uh, there need, there's an urgency to that. There's a desperation because we've been asked as followers of Jesus Christ to be baptized in water in a community that we're part of. Um, and, and, and that would be like saying, you know, I, I really need, uh, I need heart surgery, but I just got to try to fit it in my schedule somewhere. I'm not sure where I'm going to fit that in, but I'll find some time in three or four or five months, you know, to fit that in. Do you, do you see what I'm saying there? 
And, and I think what, what we're talking about is we are talking about that urgency and that desperation to follow Jesus Christ. Desperation should be what motivates us to things like water baptism. The other thing that I want to say to our parents and our grandparents, um, we're living in a day that your encouragement in a younger generation to follow Jesus is huge, that your influence to follow them is incredible. Now, the trend that I've been seeing over the last four or five years, just in the occupation that I'm part of, I I kind of see things from a crow's nest, is this. I'm seeing good Christian families, good Christian parents, almost steering their kids away from God's call in their life. Now, now I, I don't know if it's purposed. I don't think so. But, but here's what it looks like. It's like, well, no, you, you know, don't, don't follow God in ministry. Why don't you go be a, a lawyer? We're gonna, we want you to do that. And all the while, there's this stirring in a child's heart to follow Jesus. And, and I, I'm seeing parents, and I, I don't mean this to be you know, uh, critical, I'm just saying, parents, you have to stand up. And if you see things in your child's life where there's those indications of God working in their heart, please encourage that. Step in and encourage that. And say, follow Jesus. And I'll I'll get behind you. I'll, I'll support you. You see, if parents don't do that, if they don't take that as a responsibility, we wouldn't have some of the disciples that we have had in the past, and especially in the early church. Imagine if Zebedee, the son of James and John, when Jesus came along, said, no, 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 I need you in my business. You're going to make more money here. you got to stay here. you got to work for me. You need a retirement. You need an education and all those. And I understand all those things are just really important. They really are. But can you imagine if Zebedee took that approach with his two boys, we wouldn't have James and John, the sons of thunder. We wouldn't have some of the New Testament that we have today. So let me encourage you, parents and grandparents, uh, stand in the gap. Stand up. Don't let the concerns of this world overwhelm you. You know, in the series, The Gift of Desperation, we're talking about the fact that there is a gift God has given us in our desperate moments. I know sometimes that's hard to to see. But in both the Old and New Testament, we see that God is drawn to the desperate. And in the time of desperation, God has some gifts for us. And the gifts that he has for you and me in our moments of desperation are, number one, his presence, and that is so critical today. And just talking to some of you this morning, saying, man, uh, I've been in this desperate place, and God has shown up. (laughs) God has shown up. He's shown himself uh, to me. And I I think that's, that's just huge. So his presence, the other gift is his power. When we draw close to him in his presence, what is a result of that? It's the infilling of God's Holy Spirit. It's the baptism of God's Holy Spirit where the power of God's Holy Spirit works through you and couldn't have happened otherwise until you went through that time of desperation. And then the other thing I think happens is uh, we find purpose. Uh, Through desperation, you find purpose. I mean, you hear the stories. You have stories just like that that you went through one of the hardest seasons of your life, a desperate time in your life, and you came out the other side of that, uh, and you went, wow, purpose is clear to me now. (laughs) Things that used to be hazy or cloudy are not hazy and cloudy anymore. God cleared up my heart. God cleared up my mind through the gauntlet of desperation. That's what he did. He He just cleared things up for me. And so desperation isn't all that bad. 
We might try to avoid it, but if we embrace what God has for us in desperate times, good things are waiting for us. Now, each week, we have looked at a story from either the Old or New Testament. I love holding these, these stories up of people's lives, their testimonies. And these stories have illustrated the, the gift of desperation. And so today, we're going to look at Mark chapter 4, and it really involves the disciples and a journey that they take. In Mark chapter 4, we see this at the end of a long day, a long day that Jesus went through, the disciples had. Um, he's been around crowds, Jesus has, been teaching all day long. And at the end of this day, uh, here, here's what we read in this passage of Scripture. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. Now, I'm going to stop right there. How many know that's a divine setup? You all know that? Whenever Jesus asks you to go to the other side, you're being set up. It's a good setup, but you are being set up, and it's a divine setup. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was. In the boat, there were also other boats with them. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. I mean, this, this is a journey, something that they probably didn't plan on, at least the disciples didn't. And there, there are a lot of survival books out there. I mean, how many have read some of the survival books? I mean, people are into that today. You read different books on survival. There are a lot of them out there, and they have examples of desperate moments in the wild and, and what it looks like and how you should respond you know, when it's in black and white, it always looks so neat and nice and tidy. Uh, what, one of the desperate moments that, that's talked about in this survival book is how to escape from a mountain lion. And that, that's what they... And the first instruction that they give you when you see a mountain lion, you, you probably know what it is. Don't run. Well, that's easier said than done. I mean, when you think about that, because everything in you is telling you to run, you idiot. Run. Get out of here. And I've experienced that. I, I have. I looked over my shoulder, saw a mountain lion one time. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to run. That's what I wanted to do. But survival books say that's a no-no. So, so don't run. I know it sounds easy, but, but I can tell you firsthand it's not. Uh, then, then there is the second step. The second step is try to look like you're bigger. You know, try to open your jacket or do something, you know, hold it up. And one even said this, if you're with a child, hold the child up. It's like a human sacrifice. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. Yeah, just hold them up like there's two of you there. Yeah, so who are you going to drop when that thing comes at you? It's probably not going to be your coat. It's probably be your kid, you know. Uh, but, but they say, look bigger. I mean, and those, so, so you really, you know, I mean. So here's what, what you find in these books. There are those uh, desperate moments and then some very easy steps out of it, step one, step two, step three, so on, problem solved. Problem solved. It's cleared up. You know, I think sometimes we take the same approach in our faith. I, I found myself doing this on occasion, you know, one, two, three. Give me the one, two, and, and three. And that's why some people come to church, they want the one, two, and three problem solved. So it's not that easy. It wasn't that easy for the disciples, especially if you're at sea. And if you've been at sea and you've been in a storm, it can be a very scary thing. Um, I've experienced a few of those things. And, and uh, you know, in, in, in swells, seas of 8 to 10 feet, and, and you don't know. I mean, that boat is rocking, and that boat is rolling, and you don't know if you're actually going to get to the other side. I mean... I don't pull out a survival manual at that moment. I, I just, that's not what I think about. 
You know, I, I, inside I'm thinking, man, I, this is desperate. I, I need to get out of this. The disciples had a boat, um, but it wasn't big enough, nor was it outfitted with the survival gear that we have today. Uh, you, you see, we, we have these desperate moments, and we read books, and we get advice, and we listen to podcasts. One, two, three, problem solved. The problem with the solution to the problem is that it almost never works that way. Before you're in that desperate situation, it sounds great. It really does. Like, like before you struggle with children. Uh, all the books sound great. And I, I think there's good things out there. Uh, parents, before you have children, you are the experts in the world for children until they actually come there and they're in your life and no book looks good because it just doesn't fit. Uh, the, the books look good, the advice looks good before and always looks good before your health changes. It looks good before your finances change. I mean, the steps make sense before, but then the storm comes and the waters get high. The wind and waves come, and it feels like nothing that you do is working, that everything you're trying just feels like it's all for naught. It just, it just, seems, just seems like you're standing out there alone at times. And this is where the disciples find themselves. You have to kind of get into the story a little bit. They find themselves here. Nothing they do is working. The boat's getting swamped, and nothing they do works. And here's what's happening. Uh, they're getting to see how desperate they are. That's what's happening. They have seen the desperation of others, but they haven't really experienced desperation of their own. And now they're experiencing this. In verse 37, it says, uh, this is a furious squall, uh, a storm that they cannot manage, they can't control. They're in way over their heads. And this is happening on the Sea of Galilee. And you think of the Sea of Galilee, especially when you look at it on a map, you think, wow, this is just a big lake. How could this be a furious squall? Well, the way the author writes this, it is a furious squall. It's not just a big lake. There is a problem here. Uh, this is happening on the Sea of Galilee. It's about 13 miles long, 8 miles wide. Uh, but here's what makes it unique. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level which presents a weather problem, especially in the hot desert. So what happens is, is any weather that moves in comes over the top of the mountains. The mountains actually locks it in, and it's like a wind tunnel. And it blows this hot air. It's called sharika in, in the Hebrew. It just comes through, and, and it just wreaks havoc. And so you, you have this happening here, and they're on this, um, they're on this lake, and they are stuck. The Gospel of Matthew describes this storm using the Greek word seismos. This storm was seismic in its effect and what was happening on that lake. Waves were likely at 8 to 10 feet high, so this storm is epic in nature, and they are afraid. Now remember, many of these disciples are fishermen, <laughs> and it says that everyone that was in this group they were afraid of what was happening, including the experts. That would make you nervous if you're a non-fisherman. If you're a non-expert and the expert looks really worried, it's probably a good time to worry. It's a time to be, you know, a little bit upset. And this is their life. They, 
they grew up on the water and since they were boys they were fishing and they knew every square inch of that area that terrain and yet it says they're they're afraid they're, they're scared to death and that tells us a lot about this storm again can you imagine if the non-fishermen were looking at the fishermen and they were afraid it's a crazy thing it's like when you get on an airplane, you know, and those that are afraid to fly, it can be kind of a scary proposition if that's, that's true about you. I remember going on an airplane one time, and, and I'm not altogether afraid to fly, but I sat down. I could tell that the older uh, woman next to me was uh, scared to death. I mean, you could tell. She just was just looking forward and uh, probably trying to say prayers and doing all kinds of things. We got up. And where we took off, it was, uh, it was hot that day, and we hit some pockets, of, and the, you know, the, the plane just kind of jumped up and down. She, she doesn't know me from Adam, and she, she grabbed my arm. I still have prints all over my arm. She, I mean, she grabbed my arm. A stranger, that's what it makes you do. You know, that, and, uh, and I said, you know, you, you, I think we're going to be just fine. We'll be fine. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I think we're going to be fine. Um, if the stewardess go crazy, that's when we better go crazy, you know. But everybody looked like they were holding on. Uh, So the veteran fishermen on this boat were afraid, and they panicked. This is a huge, violent storm that they find themselves in. In verse 38, it says this. It says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion, in a seismic storm. The disciples woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? I mean, God, don't, don't you care that our life is in peril? Don't you care that we're in a desperate moment right here? And what are you doing? You're you're taking a nap. Really? He's sleeping on a cushion. Now, I want you to get this picture. What do they call him right here? They call him Rabboni or teacher, Uh, not Lord. They don't use that phrase with Jesus at this point. And and they ask this. They say, don't you care if we drown? You know, they're, they're trying to survive a seismic storm while Jesus is sleeping on a cushion. It's pretty obvious that Jesus isn't rattled by this storm. Why is he not rattled by the storm? Because he is the one who has created the wind and the waves. He brought them into existence with his spoken word. He's taken a nap. But the disciples hadn't come to that realization yet. You see, to, to them, he was a rabbi. He was just a teacher at this point. So here's a huge lesson in our moments of desperation. Here it is. Pay attention to the presence of God. Just pay attention to the presence of God and your interaction with God's presence when you go through desperate moments because, honestly, that makes all the difference in the world. It's paying attention to that relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. And the question I want to always ask myself and, and I try to ask you when we go through desperate times and we want to let go of Jesus, we, we want to turn our back on God's presence, I, I ask the question, who's informing you concerning the storm that you're in? Where are you getting your information? If you're in a storm now, who or what is informing you? Is it the news media? Is it political pundits? Or is it God's word and his presence? Where do you go? to try to experience peace? Who do you turn to first in your moments of desperation? I came across this. It's kind of interesting. Uh, Here's what it says. Me first is narcissism. Family first is nepotism. People group first is racism. Country first is nationalism. God's kingdom first is Christian. 
Where, where's the order in our lives? Because this, this can make a difference in our lives. Jesus said when talking about the worries and concerns of life, if you remember in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, what does he say? He says, seek first what? Seek first God's kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things will be added unto you. And I'll paraphrase it. All your needs, all your needs will be taken care of. That when we're desperate, what do we do? We seek him. We seek his authority and his government and his power. Listen, um, everything changes when we know Jesus is in our boat. Everything. That the creator of the wind and the waves is close to us. That his presence is dear to us. That he's right there with us. In John chapter 14, verse 18, it says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He's talking about his departure. He's, he's getting his disciples ready for the day uh, that he leaves the planet. Uh, when, when, when after his resurrection, he spends a little time with everyone and he says, I, I need to go now. He's preparing them. And what does he say here? The first thing that he addresses is really our spiritual and emotional well-being. He says, listen, when I'm not here physically, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm giving you a gift. And that gift is the presence of my Holy Spirit. He says, I will never leave you alone. And he's saying this to the disciples. His promises uh, are God's Holy Spirit. He brings that to you. He brings that to me in John 14, 26, 27. It says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Appropriate words, aren't they? But he's looking at our disciples. He's looking at you, you, you as a follower of Jesus Christ. So how does the world get peace? Well, the world usually gets peace through outside stuff. You know, um, Whatever can bring a synthetic peace, whatever can bring an artificial peace, and what the world is actually looking for are calm waters and smooth sailing. That is the definition of peace. But Jesus doesn't promise any of that to you. He doesn't promise that to me. Storms will come, but he says here, the Holy Spirit will be with you. So what he's saying is, hey, when you go through the storm, because you will, my promise is I'll be with you. That's the promise. That's where we gain peace. And it's not an external peace. It's an internal peace because of his presence. You see, the activity of the Holy Spirit described in these verses, it literally means this. It means the one who comes alongside. That word advocate, it means the one who draws near to you. That's the definition of the Holy Spirit here. So that when you are desperate, what does the Holy Spirit do? He draws up alongside, he comes near. He draws alongside of you during your time of brokenness. And when people vacate, when they abandon you, what happens when you feel sick, when you feel alone, when you feel separated? The Bible says that it's the advocate, the one who draws up next to you and brings his presence. When you go through death in family or a friend, what happens is it says that the Holy Spirit draws up, comes alongside of you. When you experience failure in life, what happens? It's the Holy Spirit who comes up and draws up alongside of you. 
He will never leave you as an orphan. And the disciples seem to forget that Jesus is in their boat. I mean, that's, it just seems like they're, they're blank on this one. But by the time they, they remember and they ask for help, it sounds more like an accusation, doesn't it? I mean, I was reading this as teacher, don't you care if we drowned? And I, and I thought, how we do respond? I mean, it's kind of interesting, you know, how we respond to our times of desperation and we say, Lord, don't you care if we drowned? I mean, meaning you don't care. And it is just like us at times. It, it goes wrong, things go wrong, they start to fall apart, and what do we do? We blame God. And so while the storm caught the disciples by surprise, it didn't catch Jesus by surprise. How else do you explain the nap? He's not caught off guard here. And by the way, whatever you're going through right now that might appear and feel real in the time of maybe brokenness or desperation, it doesn't catch him by surprise. You might be caught by surprise, but it doesn't catch Jesus by surprise. And I think that's kind of one of the reasons we read this story and Jesus is taking a nap. It's kind of curious to me. I think what he's saying to all of us is, hey, I'm here. You know, I'm, I'm with you. And just, I, I know what the outcome is going to be. You might not. No, I'm not surprised by this. You might be, but I'm not. So while the storm caught the disciples by surprise, it didn't catch Jesus by surprise. And, and he was the one who told them to get in the boat. That's the other thing. Well, God, you brought me on this journey. Remember who told him to get in the boat? Remember I, I told you it's a divine setup? He was the one who told them to get in the boat. So I'm thinking, they're thinking, look what you did. You brought us out of the middle of this lake and we're in a squall, a seismic storm. It's your fault. I mean, you were the one that told us to get in the boat. You know, I've heard the, the saying that he won't give us situations that we can't handle. Have you heard that? It's, it's not in the Bible, but we say it. Um, this is the reality. The reality is he's always given us situations that are over our heads so you know your desperation and your need for God. That's the whole idea. I'm thinking, I'm in over my head. This is a situation I can't manage. I, I, can't, I can't get myself out of this. But I'm there because someone can handle it. Someone is in the boat with me, and his name's Jesus. Jesus is the one leading them into the storm, and part of us says that that's just not right. We think that if we are just following Jesus, that we'll avoid the storm. And here's one of the problems that we deal with today. Some of us grew up being taught the idea that if you follow Jesus, no storms, smooth sailing, calm water, you know. That's not in the Bible. It's nowhere in Scripture. And so when storms come, we're totally caught off guard. That's what happens. Jesus told us there will be trouble. He kept saying that over and over again. The point is, just because Jesus is in your boat doesn't mean that you won't experience any storms. You know, there's conclusions that we can draw when we're in these places. One is, God can help but doesn't care. That's one of the conclusions you can draw. The other is God does care, but he can't help. Neither one of those conclusions is true. What is true is the storm is part of his plan. Have you ever thought of that? 
Have you ever thought that a rough time, a time of desperation is actually designed by God? Because if we don't think that way, we think that everything happening to me that is uh, desperate is either it's the enemy or it's random or something else is going on. But here you see that this is part of the plan that Jesus had for his disciples. And maybe the storm that you're in is actually in God's plan for you so that there are things that you learn about him that you wouldn't learn otherwise. You see, in the storm, you see Jesus in ways that you've never seen him before. You experience his presence, his power, and the purpose that he has for your life in the storm, and you won't experience that to the degree that you do anywhere else. It's in the storm you figure this out. It's in the storm that the disciples figured out that they weren't enough and that they couldn't get out of it without Jesus, who was in the boat. He got them out. In Mark uh, chapter 4, verses 39 through 41, it says, He got up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? What he means there is, is faith totally evacuated? I mean, we've been around each other for a while. We've been hanging out, but I mean, has faith just been totally sucked out of your life right now? And they were terrified, and they asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now, you remember, their association with Jesus, their relationship with him up to this point was really um, a relationship between a, a, a student and a teacher. But now, they're realizing some other things about Jesus. I mean, can you, can you see this happening to yourself where you think that you've pretty much got God in a box? I mean, you got, okay, this is, this is what he does. These are the routines of life. This is how he responds. And then something comes in, and I had my friend say this, God comes in and he vandalizes your theology. And you're going, what in the world is going on here? And I'm thinking the disciples are probably thinking, well, <laughs> I've known him as a teacher and I've seen him heal people. But this one blows my mind because he has command over the elements of the earth. Wow. Jesus goes from teacher to Lord at this point in their life. Creator of the universe, pretty big jump, huge learning curve. It's happening in this storm. So here's a thought. Maybe the storms again is his help. Maybe the storm is an answer to your prayer. Maybe the storm is God's grace in disguise. Maybe, maybe that's what's happening. Now here's the big picture. The point of the miracle is to give us a sneak peek of things to come. The point of this miracle is prophetic in nature. I mean, hey, do you read the scripture that way at times in, in, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament? What you're looking at is it's giving you a sneak peek of, of things that are ahead. And that's why I love this story. Because here these men are broken, these women are desperate, they're, they're caught in this furious storm. And what happens is Jesus takes care of the storm and he, he deals with the issues that need to be dealt with. But there are other storms coming. Because sometimes we get this idea that if he takes care of this one storm the way he did, he's going to do the same thing again and again. He may or he may not. Do you see what I'm saying? He's God. 
But he's giving, a, a, he's giving these disciples a sneak peek of his lordship. He's saying, I'm not only Lord here, I'm Lord forever. And there will be a day that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone. And, and it says as much here. It, it, the day is coming that Jesus will calm all storms. Both, both metaphoric storms, real storms in life, circumstantial, and just storms in general, Jesus will calm them all. There will be no more storms, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more mourning. He's letting them know, this is who I am. I'm the Lord of lords. I'm the King of kings. says that in Revelation 21, 1 through 5. And then I saw, this is, the, uh, uh, this is John speaking, uh, the revelator. Then I saw... A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Bet you the disciples are glad about that one. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things is passed away. He who has or was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is our destination. That's where he's leading you. So the storm that you're going through is so close to God's heart, it's actually prophetic, and he's speaking and showing you, giving you a sneak peek of what the days will be when he establishes his kingdom, his authority, his power, forever and ever. Amen. It's beautiful. So today, just be encouraged that when we go through storms, some are are, are short in duration, some last long, and some last for years. But I know this. I know that God draws near. He is your advocate in your time of desperation. I want you to listen to this story uh, this morning. We ask, we seek, and we knock. Joy is my disabled daughter who is 32, and uh, she's about a two- or three-year-old at heart. Now, when Joy was born, we thought she was okay. Uh, We didn't know she was going to be disabled, and we named her Joy because we felt that it was a good name. And when we had prayed and asked God, God, what should we call her? And that was the name he gave us. And through all of her childhood, there was times where that was super hard. When she was two years old, she was diagnosed. And that was another moment that was, I was in complete desperation. And I was, you know, going down the road after the appointment that we found out all about about it. I was by myself, and I was crying, you know, trying to drive. And I just, God, please help me. And the radio happened to be on. And all of a sudden, this song comes on, and it's called Sometimes Miracles Hide. 
and it talks about having a child that's not going to be what you ho- what you always hoped it would be, and a child with disabilities and. And it's like I'm listening to this song and I'm pulling over to the side of the road and crying even more now because I feel God is, is on me and he is, he's touching me and he's renewing my heart and making me see that there's hope. And that's the greatest thing that I could ever, you know, have is, is hope, you know, about things like that, knowing that God is there in that moment, even though... I can do nothing to change that moment. And one of the biggest things that I have learned through the years about being in desperation is if I follow God's plan, he is going to give me an answer. beautiful thing that God does in our lives. Again, there's times that our storms are disguised. I love Kathy and Gary Anderson who are part of this church community and we've watched them. Their testimony is so strong and brilliant and bright to see how they've walked through different things, especially when it's a child and how close our kids are to our hearts. Joy is a precious gift to all of us. And I'm thankful I'm thankful for whatever God is about in your life. It will always produce something good and eternal. That's his promise. So in your time, your season of desperation, remember his presence. Draw near to him because it says he is drawing near to you. Would you bow your head with me? Father, we want to thank you today for for your presence and Lord, I know right now there are many of us that are going through seasons of desperation. and It's just in over, we're in over our heads. We're being swamped and we can't manage ourselves out of this. We can't control the situation. It's just where we are. And so what we do is we depend on you. And Lord, in these times of desperation, we realize in a greater way, a deeper way, that our need for you is eternal. And so, Lord, let us lean on you and depend on you as you have leaned into us. We just thank you for your amazing grace and the way that you move in our lives, that this all will pass one day and we will spend eternity with you. Lord, let us keep our eyes up and let us always hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.